No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. All right, folks, welcome to Writing for Pathfinder. Uh, this is an opportunity to learn about getting into the RPG industry, uh, writing for us in particular, and we're going to have a lot of different uh, recommendations that overlap well for Starfinder as well, but we are coming at it with a Pathfinder spin to it. Um, before we get rolling into things, though, let's get a sense of who we're dealing with. So, go ahead and start. My name is John Compton. I'm the Magic Play Lead Developer, but I'm moving into another position where I'll also hire writers. So, I'll be evening. Left. I'm Patrick Rini. I develop I develop the Adventure Path line along with Ron. I'm James Case. I'm part of the editing team. I'm Luis Loza. I'm a developer on our Lost Omens line. So. There are a lot of different ways to get started in uh, writing for RPGs, but one of the really important steps is, I find is getting noticed in the first place. It can be really easy when you are a player or a GM to say, oh, there's this impossible gulf between my home game and what anybody else would care about to read about in a book. Um, so, we get a show of hands of who's written for a, a publisher before, maybe? That's a great one. So right now what I'm seeing around the room is that we have just a handful of hands, um, maybe like a tenth of the audience right now. So, um, And I assume that all of you are here so that you could potentially write for a publisher of some form. Awesome. Um, so one of the ways that it's I've found has been really good to go about talking about getting noticed is to talk about how we, the panelists, really got into the industry because oftentimes it's a wide variety of different uh, stories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I took a fairly traditional path, I think, traditional in the old school sense that I went to college to study English. Uh, I loved writing my whole life and uh, took an internship at Paizo back when we were doing the internship program. We don't do that anymore, but a lot of other publishers do. Uh, and uh, that's how I got my name out there, basically, was I studied for it and, and uh, worked for free for a while. So paid my dues. <laughs> um, I took a very different path than that. I used to work in biomedical editing and translation. I came into Paizo from that background, and I only started writing once I had already been hired for like a completely different thing. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into there. I also have a different path entirely. Uh, I don't have a formal degree, which just as you know, you don't have to have anything like that to work with us, so mm -hmm. don't see that as a barrier of entry. Uh, I actually entered a third-party publisher's contest at one point and got to do some writing there and then use that as my first sample that I sent to Paizo. Uh, I, I bugged editor-in-chief at the time, uh, Wes Schneider, until he eventually gave me some work. And I guess I proved myself well enough to keep getting work and then eventually ended up here. And for me, I joined in through the organized play program. Uh, so I was a volunteer. I GM'd a whole bunch, especially at Gen Con. And after a couple of years of doing that, I just uh, 
happened to be I happened to know the campaign coordinator at the time and was doing some behind the scenes volunteer projects. Uh, another one of the doing things for free sort of thing, <laughs> which is uh, fraught. It's tricky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't do it too long. <laughs> do it knowing what you're getting into um, if you're going to do it all and. Uh, Basically, because of that volunteer work, I got my opportunity to do a first scenario, and then I got an email from the editor-in-chief being like, we're looking for a part-time developer position uh, before I'd even turned in my first assignment. So this was nice serendipity for me, but, um, but it was all through the organized play program mm -hmm. um, that I got my name out there in the first place. Um, so as you can see, there are a huge number of different possibilities, and even the four of us aren't showing all the, all the likely ones. Oh, yeah. um, but at various times, uh, Paizo has uh, included several different opportunities to uh, attract or incentivize new writers um, or identify them. So we have done RPG Superstar in the past as a contest, like uh, Luis had done. Um, well, as a contest, I'm, I'm saying. Um, and then uh, we've had open call at various points in time, which have been used as writing samples or sometimes for publication uh, quests. Uh, but also you can work for other companies, so third party, which I cannot speak to as much, but perhaps Luis? Yeah, um, I got some, so I did that, that first contest and used that to try to get my way into Paizo, but at the same time I was also working with other publishers. I worked with Rogue Genius a bit, uh, did some work for Legendary here and there, and that just helped me refine a lot of the, the work I had done. I did a bunch of campaign setting material just in time to then later, oh, Paizo turns around and offers me some campaign setting work, and now I have some, some of that under my belt. So yeah, it, it's very easy to, there, there's enough third-party publishers out there that it's very easy to kind of snag work with anyone if you're willing to just put in the legwork to, to reach out to that, those types of people. And, and there are a number of people that I've run into, especially over the past three or four years, who then come up to me at a convention and just say, I want to write. That is a way to get noticed. Mm -hmm. Like personal contact, that's awesome. Um, if you can give us a business card or something like that so we can contact you or <clears throat> write down some notes about you so we can remember you more than like a day or two later after we are groggy and have gotten back to the office and don't know how to open the doors anymore because <laughs> it's been a long convention, that is a super helpful reminder. Absolutely. Um, uh, so what are, once you once you got noticed, like what are some of the things that we have at Paizo, particularly for Pathfinder, to try people out? I mean, one of the the best ways to uh, to see what an author is good at and 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 then the strengths is um, monster design. I think we we typically you know they're a, they're a short assignment, six hundred words about for monsters these days, and uh, that involves giving us a clear description of the monster, some flavorful lore, cool stuff like that. So flavor writing and then doing the rules right. So we're really looking for, you know, when when you're pitching to, to Pathfinder and any company for that matter, it's really important to be at least familiar with the the style and the content. Um, if you know how to play Pathfinder, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge plus. Um, and uh, so, yeah, a monster or a small assignment is generally what we give to first-time authors. I think that that's probably uh, just good general advice, too, mm -hmm. is whatever company you're pitching to, be familiar with their conventions and also the kind of tone of their products. I think Pathfinder's tone is kind of sits <laughs> in a certain place, and sometimes we get stuff that's, like, really good, but it's like really creepy horror yeah, stuff. Like and edgy. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. like, maybe not for all of our products. Mm -hmm. And showing that you're a good match, like not just that you're a good writer, but that you're a good match for the company you want to write for is really important as well, I would say. 
And beyond that, at least on my end of things with the Lost Omens guides, uh, the the way things work out is these books are pretty big. I mean, the, the smaller ones right now are running 128 pages, which is way too much for even a single person to write, or even just two or three. Uh, so what we do is we tend to break things up into smaller chunks, you know, anywhere from two to 12 pages or something, depending on, on the size of things. And those are a bit more involved, uh, unlike with a monster, where most of the time you're kind of given free reign to make up your own thing, mm -hmm. kind of pitch your idea and say, oh, I think this could be a cool monster. It might do this and this and look this way. And then you say, okay, yeah, let's go with that. And then you're given the liberty to write that as you like. This one, w with working for the Lost Omens lines, you have to know our setting or at least be able to do the research about our setting to you know, start pulling in information that you need to you know, write specific characters or update setting material and things like that. So that, that's where things start getting a bit more involved. And that's also another entry point. You don't have to see yourself as someone that has already some work under their belt. I, I've started a lot of new freelancers with this kind of material. Just know that that is a bit more involved and, and does require a little bit more of, of you and, and can actually prove that you, you have what it takes because it, it asks for so much right away that you know if you live up to those expectations then you're doing great. Uh, I want to follow up on two different points. One of them, James ended up mentioning pitching and Luis as well. Uh, something for Paizo in particular is we don't really take pitches. We, uh, for almost all of our products, we create outlines based on what we need to accomplish for a given product for the company, and then we send that out to authors. So you might get your first assignment that is you will write 2,800 words on uh, Shailen. We need you to talk about Shailen in broad terms, and we need you to add in three feats for Shailenites. That is the assignment. So it is not an opportunity for you to say, that's nice for Shailen, but I actually have this real big plan for Zonkathon, and I think that he does... No, no, no. We need <laughs> stuff about Shailen for this assignment. Um, and when it comes to sending in what you already have written when we have not solicited it, that is something that we basically have to delete. We cannot open those things for legal reasons. So you cannot send us a module that you have written and say, please publish, because the moment every step that we take to investigate what you have written can potentially leave us more liable to you coming back and saying, I had a thing with a dragon in it. You wrote a thing with a dragon in it. Clearly you stole my idea. We don't want that sort of IP violation. The safest thing for us to do is just to destroy the email the moment we get it. So please do not send in unsolicited things. We might ask you for a short writing sample, something like 250 words, maybe 500 words, mm -hmm. or like a monster, or you could point us to something that you've written that will be a page, mm -hmm. maybe two, for us to get a sense of how you do your work. But please don't send in unsolicited things. Um, yeah, a, a blog. If you have a website, I think it's 2019. You know, we should all have blogs. Um, <laughs> I have one. I don't update it very often, but you know, uh, it's you know nice to see that you're writing, right? The other thing that, uh, as far as getting introducing yourself, that I found is super cool and has uh, paid huge dividends the past two years. We know that you're a gaming enthusiast. We know that you're interested in writing because you're talking to us about writing, but we don't necessarily know anything else about you. And if you have some sort of other skill outside of those two that is interesting and could be applied in a cool way to setting material or adventures, then go ahead and tell us because it might inspire us to say, oh my gosh, we have a product coming up that's about that. And you have actual expertise. You know how, I don't know, electricity works or you know about what archaeology actually does and doesn't do and isn't just whip cracking and saying this belongs in a museum. Um, these can be things that add depth to our products and we oftentimes want to bring in that expertise. Uh, so that could help to set you apart.
Yeah, if you've lived in Mongolia for 10 years, you know, that's worth noting, you know. It's a real specific example. I don't know, it's interesting, yeah. <laughs> but I think coming from the point that everybody has a lot of different backgrounds and, you know, if we can and we have something coming up that could intersect with that in a meaningful way, we're more likely to remember you, we're more likely to think, oh, this person uh, really has a cool viewpoint on this that we think would make it for a good final product. You know, that just increases the chances that I think we uh, reach out. Uh, I'm going to go back to the, the point about pitching really quick, mm -hmm. uh, about unsolicited, unsolicited pitches. There will be times when we ask for pitches uh, of particular things, so particularly in the monsters, it happens a lot, where we might say, oh, we need a level four aberration that lives in a forest. What do you got? And in that case, then you can color within the lines of, of your pitch. But outside of that, you know, whatever you've been assigned, then you kind of want to work with those constraints. And like mm -hmm. going back to the Shellen article, if you, we ask for three feats, then you might say, oh, I had this idea, this idea, and this idea for the feats, and that's technically a kind of pitching, and that, those are the kind of smaller within the outline kind of pitches that we're, we're okay with taking once you've already been reached out to about work. It also just helps to uh, make sure that the thing that you are investing your time and your energy into is something that will is something that we've asked for and that we're likely to be able to use. Like We've had times where Honestly, like really cool stuff has come back, but it's just kind of been like not exactly what we asked for. And um, I for, heard it for the first time described of this as coming back kind of like off spec. Mm -hmm. Like it's cool. It's just like we can't, it won't fit in the thing that we're putting together because it's not just the thing that one person is writing. It's you know multiple authors coming together and then the developers are taking that and like making it fit into a streamlined piece. So it's, it's like, uh, I mean, a, a good uh, thing about writing is like you have to know all the rules before you can break them, right? And I think that applies to this as well. We have to know that you can follow direction before we say, okay, go, you know, um, you know, because we can't just say go and then see what happens uh, because then we might have potentially, I don't know, wasted both years in our time if we're just not, you know, intersecting correctly. But if we know that we communicate to you and you communicate to us in a meaningful way and we sync up, then we're much more likely to offer more assignments that have a lot more freedom. Uh, yeah. And, and speaking of guidance and guidelines, um, your assignments will come with several different documents. Uh, we have freelancer guides, certain product lines have uh, more extensive guides, like all Pathfinder Society scenarios now have a really long uh, both example of how a scenario is put together, but all the different things to consider with it. Um, but also, you'll be provided with any of the background uh, reading material in the form of PDFs that you don't already have. So your outline will also be detailed, um, showing you the different pieces that other people are writing. So there's there's a lot of stuff to look over when you're getting your first assignment, um, because we're expecting you to follow those directions and hopefully make the maximum use of the tools that we are providing so that you don't uh, succumb to any common pitfalls that we've already really covered in these guides. We try to give you the tools to succeed as much as we can. <laughs> um, and if you don't find something in, or don't find something that you need in there, you can always ask the developer. And that's a true thing all the way through the process is mm -hmm. when in doubt, talk to us. Mm -hmm. um, we'd much rather answer several emails over the course of the writing cycle than have you kind of go silent and then disappear entirely. Uh, that's real unfortunate because in the end, the developer's job is to, no matter what, make the text appear to be up to Paizo standards. If that means that we have a good turnover and we just need to do a bit of editing, that's lovely. If we just have to rewrite an encounter and then kind of tweak some things here and there, that's the standard day. If we have no manuscript and we have to write it all from scratch, 
in a um, couple of days. We, we are sad pandas. <laughs> um, and we are sad pandas who are probably crossing out names in our, in our Rolodex. So um, I guess that kind of gets me into my, my yeah, riot act shouting time. Oh. So let, let's talk instead about things that are positive to do when you have your assignment. I'd be on time. That's always great. Uh, you know, we usually give uh, we give ample time. I think, uh, especially for a monster, a new thing. You know, uh, for uh, six hundred words, I might give you a whole month, and it's like, well, even if you wrote like ten, you know, ten words a day, twenty words a day, you'd hit it. Um, so if you can be on time, that's great because we publish on a schedule. When you're on time, we're on time. Everyone looks good. Um, when I say six hundred words, I don't mean six hundred and fifty. I don't mean five hundred fifty. I do mean around six hundred. Um, you know, following directions. I guess that's kind of just uh, repeating myself here, but <laughs> yeah, because ultimately those those words have to fit on a page. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like more is better. More is yeah. More is uh, more work really. So. Well, I'm an editor, so I will lightly go into the right act yeah. since I think that that's what they keep me around for. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, please run a spell checker. Um, you know, just I'm sure that like. If you're, if we're considering you, it means that we've probably seen some of your writing or something like that, and we have an idea, you know, that you are probably like good at stuff. But I know that like a lot of times you go in and then maybe you change one bit, maybe you come out and then you uh, decide that the character's name is going to be different, and a lot of different changes can happen. And I think just before you send something in, put it down for a couple days, pick it back up, read it with fresh eyes, make sure it still makes sense. That kind of thing, because um, we, you know, we do want it to come in at kind of a at kind of a base level of quality, and showing us that you're willing to take the time and effort to make sure that there aren't any easy, like really simple mistakes and that kind of thing uh, goes a long way to improving our faith in wanting to go forward to uh, continue to work with you. Uh, just know that a spell checker will tell you things like. Magnamar or Cthulhu are wrong, and those are things you can definitely add to your spell checker. So then, just because they're fake words and don't show up in the dictionary, doesn't mean they shouldn't be spelled correctly. They're actually more important than some of your other words in there because they're, you know, our, our stuff from our setting, and we want to make sure people are getting those correct as well. The editing team's custom dictionary is. Thick. Yeah. <laughs> and when in doubt, I mean, look it up. You know, uh, uh, how many how many of you have GM'd a Pathfinder game before or Starfinder? Okay, fair Hold number. Uh, how many of you have GM'd five or more games? Okay, same That's number great. about. Yeah, <laughs> I would encourage you if you're if you're gonna uh, if you would like to write for us, you know, play a couple of the games first. Uh, you'll get a good feel for what does and doesn't work. You'll you'll read the products. You'll see what it looks like. What you know, our paragraphs are about this big. They're not this big. You know, uh, we have conventions. Yeah, and that's a great point, Patrick. Because whether you're doing adventures or any other product that we've done. In, major in the majority of cases, we've already done a product that is really similar to that in structure or theme or, or concept, and you can uh, look at examples of those and see how did we do a six-page city gazetteer before, and you can look at several of the ones that we've done already so that when you're doing your six-page city gazetteer, you can model it off of that, um, and you can see how much, how much space was dedicated to what or what sorts of things were highlighted. And for those books in particular, like if if we have a format, you know, you don't need to buy that book yourself. Like you don't need to go out of your way. You know, it's of course it's good to buy our books, but uh, <laughs> but you know, like if we say okay, it has to be just like artifacts and legends, we will. You know, you say well, I don't have that book. We'll send you a PDF. Um, we we try and give you the tools to succeed, right? Yeah. Where the editing team in particular uh, really appreciates uh, if you're sending in 
you know, if you're making a bunch of magic spells and one of them shoots a blast of cold that is fireball, more or less, but like does cold damage in another way, we do really appreciate it if you, especially in the more mechanics-heavy text, do model it on what we've done already. I mean, it saves you guys a lot of work. It saves us a lot of work. We really like it. And we and it's great to see creativity in all these places and like what people are coming up with. But at the same time, it does help if you have familiarity with the product and there's no need to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. on certain kinds of things. I've copied and pasted so many things in my freelance career that it was just, oh, this is the exact text I need, except it does 1d8 damage instead or whatever. And speaking from an organized play perspective as well, where people tend have a tendency to really read into the exact wording of something, if, two, if you have your cold ball and fireball that are supposed to do the same thing but different damage types and they are worded differently, some people will try to read into that and apply them differently at the table and then arguments begin whereas we could have had that consistency and clarity from the beginning yeah mm-hmm. the um if you a really good thing for kind of is to when you reading your own work especially in mechanics text is to try to put yourself in the mindset of that person at the table who wants the rules to do exactly not what they were intended to do but what would be really good for you right in this moment which is to say, um, make sure that the image in your head of how your cool spell is going to work is the only image that could possibly come up in the reader's head. Um, if there is like a ambiguity in a word, so while is a really good example of this. While can be a contrast. While can also mean like during a length of time. Some senses that say like, you know, while it was night, this other thing happened and. You know, that creates an ambiguity that can be that at the very that maybe if you think about it for a couple seconds, you can figure out what you mean. But um, we don't want to have to be hoping that the reader who may be coming from a very different background will have the same will just happen to come to the same conclusion as what you intended. If you want it to mean this thing, then um, try to make it as clear as possible. Yeah, like while this fireball does cold damage, it also does 2d8 damage, and it's like, well, does that mean while it's dealing cold damage, or does that mean like... Yes, exactly this. (laughs) Don't be ambiguous, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And one way you can clear that kind of stuff up is to get someone else to read something for you, especially someone who is not versed in the game that you're playing. Uh, That can bring up a lot of questions really quick. Uh, My wife is not a big Pathfinder player, but I have her look over a lot of my freelance writing back in even still today, and she's like, what is this thing? What is that thing? And a lot of the times it helps clear things up. Other times it's just like, no, that's the way it has to be because it's the rules. (laughs) It's good to know what needs to be cleared up. And and having somebody else read over things is is an excellent piece of advice. And um, one of the things to just keep in mind is that typically when we're assigning these uh, books or these adventures and whatnot, these are almost always products that have not been announced yet. Um, these are products whose uh, future contents are not public knowledge yet, and um, we do expect you as developers and as you as authors to keep this information confidential and not just share it around. But we are often very flexible when it comes to you wanting to have you know a close friend read it or a family member read it, or if you're part of a um, a freelance uh, group. Um, Sometimes they will sort of just bounce ideas off of each other, and it's it's generally okay. But if you have any questions as to whether or not you would be crossing any lines, um, please do talk to your developer and just kind of get the, the tacit go-ahead um, on those things. But a freelance support group can be super useful, not only because they 
they already speak the same language that you do and know generally what you're trying to accomplish and can provide alternate lang or alternate wording um, or ideas. But uh, they also have their own jobs that they're doing, their own connections that they're doing. And uh, if one of them says, wow, Patrick apparently is assigning a 5,000 page book that any freelancer who wants work can talk to him. <laughs> well, suddenly you have this connection mm -hmm. and this heads up, this news. You're in the know. Yeah. In the know. And so a freelance group can be really helpful. Uh, one of the ones that does a lot of stuff, uh, or many of our authors belong to, uh, is Freelance Forge, mm -hmm. uh, founded by Mike Kimmel. Um, I'm sure that if you go down and talk to Kate Baker and Dennis Muldoon down in uh, the demo area as well, they will also <laughs> talk that up. Um, but yeah, those have been a big part of not only a bunch of our freelance authors' uh, careers, but also seeing even some of our um, current staff members have belonged to those guilds. Mm -hmm. Like we have Adam Daigle in the back who belonged to the Wear Cabbages. Uh, <laughs> If you're on a bigger project, uh, a monster usually you don't work with anyone else, but if you're on a bigger project like one of the Lost Omens books, you tend to end up working with a dozen or so other authors and it's very easy to just email one of the other authors and say, hey, can you look at this? And then you don't even have to worry about, oh, you know, am I going to break any kind of NDA or, or confidence with, with, with Paizo? No, they're also on the assignment. It's they also know things. It's very easy to share between people. and. and a lot of the time, they're already established freelancers who might be able to give you more tips or, or help you out and on that kind of stuff. I you've been doing stuff like setting up, like people have, the developer has, developers have set up things like Discord or Basecamp mm -hmm. or like groups, that kind of thing, yep. to help kind of connect people. So that's always a good thing to, you know, just kind of get everybody talking to each other and bouncing ideas off each other. It's mm -hmm. always a good way to generate more ideas and have some more uh, people to get checks on. Mm -hmm. as, as you're bouncing around ideas though, if you start finding that you as the group of freelance authors are escalating or starting to push the scope or the theme <laughs> of something, it's a good time to check in with the developer. This will be an anecdote that I'm going to tell for Adam, uh, which involved a whole bunch of very clever freelance authors for an AP that he was working on, an adventure path, who possibly because I was goading one of them, decided that it would be really awesome in this underwater adventure path to involve a, a, an apparatus of the crab, but that you could find components that you could add on to it as you go through all the AP volumes and eventually you'd have this battle submarine by the end and everything would be cool and I was like yes do the thing and eventually Adam caught on and was like this might be a little far let's step this back <laughs> but by that point you know the freelance authors had worked themselves into a bit of a, a bit of a frenzy and were like yes 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 but had to be stepped back down because they were starting to go beyond what this particular project was aiming for. And yeah, it was a cool idea. One day we'll have our battle submarine that you can pilot <laughs> as well. Um, and in the meantime, if you want that, you can play Starfinder because you can do starship combat underwater too. Nothing stops you there. Mm -hmm. um, no, I'm serious. You can do submarine combat with starships. It's great. Um, so, um, so if you find that your freelance group is, is pushing the bounds of it, just check in. Make sure that you haven't gone off track. Uh, another thing, this is all really just Please make sure it all looks good before you turn it in. Uh, if you have time, I mean, it, it. We know a lot of the people that work for us have, you know, their entire lives still that they're living and then have full time jobs and all that stuff. So it might be that they only have enough time to get it written and looked over and sent back. But if you have time and it, it makes sense, try to play test what you're sending in. If you have a monster, run it against a party, even if it isn't your home group. Just you know, get some pregens, run it against yourself, and just realize, you know, oh, suddenly. Turns out this damage is way too high on the attack that it does every turn. Maybe I'll scale that back, things like that. Or if, especially adventures, running encounters. I, you know, the very first Pathfinder Society scenario I ran, 
or, or wrote, uh, I had this, you know, this prison where the PCs were supposed to show up, and they're we're concerned that the enemy's taking over. And you know, my idea is like, oh, they'll either immediately get into a fight or sneak in. But my playtest group walked up and says, oh, hey, uh, we hear that you're, you might have been taken over, and the bad guys inside are like. Oh, you don't say. Come on in and tell us about it. <laughs> and, you know, that's just an extra wrinkle that I got to add into the, the final writing thanks to that playtest. Um, so now that we've, we've given you a whole bunch of good things to do, um, we're at about uh, half past in our slot. I'm thinking maybe we can provide a couple of just cautionary notes or once you've finished up your assignment sorts of things. Um, and then we can start taking some questions. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to... Uh, just get out there is when you are writing for us, um, you are to a lesser extent than a staff member, you are to a degree representing the company that you're writing for. Um, and that means that when you have like a product thread, for example, and the book comes out and somebody is quibbling about your section, that might not be the best time to verbally attack that person and tell them they're terrible, um, you know, that sort of thing. So comport yourself with a professionalism that you want us to see as well. Or, or even worse, attack your developer based yeah. on changes. That's the next step because <laughs> you might have sent in something. And remember, our job is to bring it to Paizo standards or beyond. Um, and we might have to change something. We might have had to cut one of your three Shailen feats because we realized when the art came in that Shailen is like holding her glaive like this and it cut it took out an entire column of space. Mm -hmm. So we had to cut one of your feet. I'm so sorry. But it was your favorite feet. We didn't know. Um, and now <laughs> you go on to the product thread and you say, I'm so angry you cut the best feet. Boy, what do these developers even know? Okay, well, that is showing there's an antagonistic relationship here <laughs> or that you don't take feedback. So comport yourself with the professionalism you want us to see in you is big. It's all love. Yeah, it's just all, it's all chill. We're trying to make cool products. Exactly. Um, yeah, uh, I would say a, another big piece of advice is uh, to, oh no, I lost it, uh, is to write things down. Write things down when you're thinking of them. That's a good tip. Um, yeah, understand, oh, feedback. Uh, ask for feedback. Understand that we're unfortunately very busy and sometimes don't have time to give you extensive feedback. I try to give feedback to everyone, every new person I work with. Um, Sometimes I, it's a sentence or two, uh, you know, and take that as you will. Another good way to, to see what you need to work on is to look at the final book. You know, if you've worked on a book, you get uh, you usually get a contributor copy of it. So you can flip through and see your section and be like, oh, this changed from this. What did I do? Look at my original term. Oh, yeah, I spelled that wrong all over the place. You know, that's a good thing to know. So reading the final version, but also take that with a grain of salt, because like uh, John was saying, sometimes sometimes the art just comes in and it's a big sword and it cuts across the page and we had to cut half your thing because the big sword cut it through. So it, it is easier to change text than it is to change the art. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say on to the extent of representing the company and bringing it up to Paizo standards, that's not just to the mechanical cleanness of the text and the, making the adventure interesting and evocative. It's also um, being true to the values of the company. Paizo is an, ex is an inclusive company. You know, we try to portray a world that has a lot of diversity of gender balance, uh, various life experiences. I know we were talking about this a little bit yesterday on the diversity and gaming panel, but... Um, but that is the sort of thing that we put in our product. If there are no female characters in your turnover, we will change some of them to be female characters. Um, that takes a lot of effort from us. That's the thing we have to be on the watch out. And that is definitely a thing the editing team notices when it comes through. So not just in terms of like writing mechanically 
clean and very like cool evocative stuff but just you know be sure that if you are writing for a product lens that it's it's in line with our values that sort of thing because we'll notice that and we'll feedback we'll feedback that back up to the developers and be like oh yeah that came in that was really i thought that handled that in a really interesting way it was really good and then hopefully they'll take note of that and put it in their little dossier yeah um so i'm going to give a few quick tips uh because of the nature of my line in particular i don't assign things for a couple of months at once only once every few months. So if you don't hear back from me, if you reach out and say, oh, I'd like to do some work, and if you don't hear back from me, that doesn't mean I hate you and I don't ever want to have you work for me again. It just means there's nothing here. So I try to reply and say, oh, yeah, you know, I don't got anything right now. But things slip through the cracks all the time with, with that kind of stuff. Uh, just try again in a month or two or whatever. That's totally fine. Um, and then with that, um, know that I'm not the only person in the company that you have to talk to. If you if you've met Patrick, you can reach out to him as well. I, I'm not the only one that assigned works. Talk, talk to all of us uh, about this kind of stuff. And where we can, we try to communicate each other. Hey, I'm looking to assign such and such thing in the future. Do you have any good freelancers? And if Patrick just heard back from someone, says, oh, so-and-so got back to me. Here, let me give you the contact information. And you know, that, that'll be great. Yeah, we, we as developers and editors and just an entire editorial staff definitely talk to each other about uh, who's doing great, who needs more work, uh, in rare cases, who has burned us. Um, so we don't assume that uh, just because you have, um, don't assume that just because you have uh, screwed me over on a project that you can then go to Patrick and go to him for work. Because yeah. uh, don't uh, ask mommy and then dad, and then daddy. Yeah. yeah. On yeah. the other <laughs> hand, if you've done good work for me, then I am most likely going to start praising your name at, at the company, and then Patrick will be like, "Oh, I need authors too." Mm -hmm. um, so th this works out really well uh, in terms of just getting your name circulated. Uh, if you, even if you aren't working on the type of product that you dream to be writing. Mm -hmm. Working on another one can get your foot in the door to start working you toward uh, some of those other products as well. Uh, the other cautionary thing to uh, watch for, in addition to uh, our values as a company, Easter eggs. Mm. As you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> this may this may presage what. So, um, so by an Easter egg, I mean that it is some sort of, for example, pop culture reference, pop culture reference, or like real on the nose, uh, real world uh, reference, things like that, where it is clearly pulling on something that is hitting way, way, way too close to home, or another IP that could get us sued if we include it, and if we don't catch it as developers or editors and it goes through, then it could cause trouble. Yeah, don't name all your NPCs after Battlestar Galactica characters. I've never seen Battlestar Galactica. I wouldn't catch it, and then we'd get sued. Uh, you know, you can name them after your home group characters. That's fine, like, you know, um, they might change, but yeah, yeah, if you want to drop one in and say, hey, Bob, check it out, you know, and, your character's in the game, that's and fine. And actually, related to that, um, like plagiarism is completely unacceptable. Yep. Like there's real, there is absolutely like no nice way to say that. Um, if you have, even if you have personally written something and it has been, I mean, most of this is work for hire, you know, within the industry, just as a general rule, which means that if you write this like cool six headed crab monster that shoots lasers out of its eyes and that gets published by a different company, um, the IP belongs to that other company that it published it under. If you give us that exact same turnover or that turnover with really superficial changes to us, and this other IP is something that none of us have personal experience with, and then we publish it, that has a whole host of legal stuff in addition to just being unethical. Um, it's a major legal headache for us. 
if it comes in and we notice it, what that means is that we have to spend like a large amount of time basically originalizing the work going through and making sure that it's sufficiently different and that can be as deep as having to rewrite it. And, and psychologically second guessing everything else that you've written. Yeah. It's, and you know, we want to have, like, we don't want to have to put people on a blacklist. We, we really don't. We want to have as many awesome talented writers working for us as we can. So, you know, but once we do start to have like that doubt, you know, it, it does sort of cloud how much we trust you going forward into the future. Mm -hmm. And that's a little harsh, but there's really not a nice way to say it. Mm -hmm. James is here to speak truth. Yeah. I'm in editing, so they keep me around to, you know, talk about <laughs> semicolons or whatever. But. Uh, real quick, back to the Easter egg thing. There are some good Easter eggs that we like. If it's within Paizo's setting, within like, we, we, like, we like to point back at existing things. If it turns out that someone got a cool sword that was sent to them by... Uh, some paladin by the last name of Tirabade, which is, oh, hey, cool, that's a reference to that character from Wrath of the Righteous. She used to be a paladin. Cool, great. That's that's a fun little thing that people who know the game and know the setting get to enjoy. And those kind of things we ask in any kind of Easter egg, if you think even just there's any concerns at all, to tag those, make mark a comment in Word or something like that. Because uh, if you point it out and we realize, oh, you know what, this is good, we'll, we'll keep it, that's great, you, you let us know instead of trying to slip something past us or... Yeah, it, and it makes it a cooperative process. Yes. Instead yeah, of, we don't want to rename that character not re, not remembering the Easter egg, and then have two swords of this. Yeah, you know. or um, any any stuff you want to point out, we recommend putting comments in. Just if you if you write something and you say, "Oh, this is I'd like to have this show up because of X, Y, and Z," or because this is a reference to another thing, without you letting us know, it's very possible that we'll miss it and things change and then you, you might get upset that things didn't survive. Yeah, because uh, we, have, we have a large number of developers. Uh, the person who's developing your work may not have written or developed the original source material that you were using as a reference. And if we look at something, we say, that seems kind of questionable. Maybe we'll change that. But you got it from a previous uh, source. If you cite it, then we can say, oh, wait, no, that's canon. We can't tinkle with that. <laughs> uh, and it's a great double check all the way uh, down the line. I think at this point, uh, let's go ahead and move on to some questions because yeah. we've got about 12 13 minutes before we want to see about clearing out for the next panel. So, um, under the microphone, your question? microphone. Okay. and multiple people can come up and sort of line up. That's totally fine. Okay. Howdy. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, so when submitting something, uh, do you have particular uh, formats that you prefer? Um, I'm sure you, PDFs are probably not your favorite thing. So Microsoft Word, I, I know Google has their version that can be collaborative. You can actually see what they're writing as they're writing if they give you permissions to do so. Um, what do you all prefer to have? Feel free to write in whatever program you feel most comfortable in, but when you turn it in, we need a Word document yeah, to Word work doc. with. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, so RPG Superstar was really great, and Midnight Mirror is like one of my favorite uh, modules of all time. Um, why did you guys stop that uh, contest, and uh, what other contests right now do you recommend? So uh, I can speak a little bit to the basics of why we uh, discontinued it, and partly it was a matter of we had done it for many, many years, so we had been able to uh, find and inspire a whole bunch of new talent already. We were also recognizing just how much of a load it took on the company, because we would have in three or four different judges per round um, each of whom would be taking X amount of time out of their existing duties to, to judge things, write up feedback and all of that. Um, and we had, of course, uh, whoever was sort of emceeing the entire thing. For a while, that was Owen. For a while, that was Sean. Um, and and that, that all takes a, 
a good amount of workload off of creating the books that we are ideally getting paid for to uh, write and, and create. So um, it was one of those things where after I think 10 rounds, nine rounds, it was a, it, it has made its uh, mark for now. Let's go ahead and uh, stop doing that for a little while. And then if we need to, maybe we'll create another contest in the future. Uh, can anybody speak to other good contests? So, um... I, I know if you're a member of Freelance Forge, they, they tend to have a lot of just internal competitions. They're not even like for any kind of prize. It's just to see, oh, you know, let's all try to build a certain type of monster and then we judge each other and give each other feedback. That's always a, a you know great resource for that. But uh, we have on the message boards, there's a third party publisher section of the board where anyone that is both looking to hire people. So that's a great way to, to get your first stab at freelancing, but or if they have any contests, like I know um, Adam has judged for some monster contests over the past couple of years, uh, things like that. They, they will show up there and, and people will let you know, we have this contest going on. That's how I found out about that first contest I did years ago and got to write my first module. So. Uh, it's not particularly like RPG related, but NaNoWriMo is a fun thing. I did that last year for the first time. If you want to really just see if you can write 50,000 words in a month, uh, give that a whirl because you will, yeah, you'll be able to hit all your deadlines forever after that. <laughs> One up. Um, so I was in the um, the class earlier that talked about world building and um, and everything, and they talked about how they draw inspiration from all kinds of like the sci-fi world as well as other things. When you're writing, how do you? Because obviously we can't like write in a vacuum where we're not influenced by the culture around us. Mm -hmm. How do you want the your writers to approach that? Like. Do you need them to source, like, I got this idea because of my exposure to Stargate or whatever, like, even if it's different enough, do you care about those kind of connections? It can be, I mean, it's, it's hard because it is an inherently subjective call, right? Um, I would say that, like, if you come up with an idea that's is the difference between in being inspired by something and being too much of a direct copy to it, I mean, that line is very subjective. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to figure out where exactly the cutoff is. Like, if you have a character who can, like, throw their shield and cut things, that's like a little Captain America-y, but that's maybe not, like, Captain America's not the only character who mm -hmm. does that. If that character also wears a flag and has a super soldier serum and, mm -hmm. like, does it and is a paragon of moral virtue, and you're, like, every, with every one of these, you're getting closer and closer to it being a, there is no other way that you could possibly read this. Mm -hmm. And so as long as, like... You can be inspired from something, but you know, just be sure you're edging on this headline. I would definitely say, like, err on the side of, you know, of more vague, of more vague mm -hmm. uh, type of stuff. Yeah, and, and I mean that that's excellent for when you're dealing with uh, existing IP. When you're uh, potentially writing some setting material, you also might be consciously or unconsciously uh, drawing from other real world cultures and there are certain you know tropes or what have you in in those cultures that are hard to avoid but there are some that are more specific and if you are kind of riffing off of something then it can be helpful for the developer and editors then make a judgment call when it comes in if they know where your source material was they can sort of follow up on it as well mm -hmm. and see help to judge that subjective line because we don't want to go real deep into appropriation of other cultural values or like um, but at the same time, some of our uh, Lost Omens cultures rep resemble or represent some real-world analogs in, in minor ways. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that just gets back to communication, we had one where uh, 
It was, um, you know, we had to turn over about a kind of very sensitive subject. It came in. The editing team was looking at it and we said, okay, well, we need to change this a little bit. But we also had a comment from the author that explained, you know, in, in not a final reader facing language, like what they were trying to go for, what their inspiration was, and why they were trying to do it. And that very much helped us know how to approach it and just try and give it the attention we thought that it deserved. Subject. Let's do a lightning round. We've got a lot of yeah. questions. I have a question from Tin for Lunch. How do you develop the relationships between the big bad and those in their hierarchy? Are there any that you find the most interesting? Mm, I like bad guys that betray their bad guy buddies. Um, you know, get in the headspace, I guess. Like, figuring out what your villain's motivation is is most important. Try not to think, like, well, the PCs might do this, they might do this. Just think, what would happen in an ideal world if there weren't PCs? What's this villain going to do, you know? Uh, that's what I would recommend. As far as getting into their heads, I like the idea of handouts. Handouts are something that, that you can then have the players sort of change gears mentally because now they're handling a thing and they can read about how the minions really hate the villain or the villain really thinks the minions are dumb. Mm -hmm. um, and that can help to talk about some of the interactions without actually watching them yell at each other. Okay. Twofold question. Uh, first part is, what's the best advice for writing for Pathfinder Society as far as writing scenarios? And the second one is how to go about structuring those that you want to fit your, your Paizo standard for that. So from an organized play perspective, um, best advice is going to be understanding that there is more than one route to success. If you only plan, and this is general adventure writing uh, recommendation, uh, is providing more opportunities for success than you expect the PCs to take. That could be multiple clues in an investigation, each of which points to the next destination. It could be a matter of when you, like Luis was mentioning, the uh, prison break sort of thing, where like, do you tunnel in or do you fight your way in or do you, oh gosh, I guess we're tricking our way in too. The more of those that you can sort of plan around and provide at least some basic guidelines for the GM to, to follow and uh, resolve it, the nicer it is within word count. Um, so, just consider what the jackals at your usual Pathfinder Society tables would usually do, and then <laughs> consider the ways that they would throw a wrench in the gears. Um, but for Pathfinder Society, because it is a little bit more strictly interpreted by many GMs, then providing the DCs is handy, or providing some recommended skills is handy. So more mechanical information put into Yeah, place. and it doesn't have to be strict. Like It doesn't have to be, they must do an athletics check, but rather it's like, it should involve about two skill checks, DC 18 each, um, in any combination of the following skills, such as this, 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 or anything else that makes sense. So but, don't leave it up to you to decide but for us to put it in the right. Exactly. Okay. And, and that sort of structure then says to the GM, these are the ways the author, we, the authors and the developer, think it's going to play out, but we also leave a little bit of flex in case the PCs are just really creative. Good. Thank you. Hey, uh, just a question on process. Um, I've worked with, I've worked on some projects where um, copy drives art direction, and I've worked on projects where uh, concept art is given to writers to develop mm -hmm. content. Um, and then I've worked with some artists collaboratively in very rare occasions. Um, typically, what process do you employ? We typically don't order any art until the text is in and usually fully developed. Mm -hmm. Part of that is we can anticipate, oh, hey, we want these spells and we know that we want a fire-themed spell. We can probably 
take the time already in advance mm-hmm. to order a fire theme spell. Mm-hmm. But if we just ask for three Shellen feats, mm-hmm. and it turns out, oh, one of these feats shows fighting with the glaive in a particular cool way that we think, oh, that could be a cool piece of art, mm-hmm. then we can base off what we receive in the text mm-hmm. what we want in the art. And that, that especially happens with adventures. We don't know what your characters and the NPCs that you write into the adventure are going to look like until you have them. We don't know if they fight with a longsword or if they're spellcasters or whatever the case might be, mm-hmm. and we can't really order that art till mm-hmm. we have that information. Okay. The, the one exception I'd provide with that, though, is that if you're writing about something that's already been written about to some extent, there's likely existing art of that place or person right. or thing. Right. So if we are assigning you something about Nidal, well, we already have a book full of Nidalee's information and artwork, so mm-hmm. you might end up writing to one of those landscape pictures that we don't otherwise have a map to if you're going mm-hmm. to do a gazetteer. Sure. But there wouldn't, there wouldn't necessarily be a scenario where uh, the writer's given an assignment to uh, develop a monster, but there's some concept art that comes along with that assignment to say, this is kind of what we're thinking. Almost never. Okay. And the exception is that sometimes we get art that, for whatever reason, we cannot fit into the book or use, sure. but we might want to reuse and be like, you know, for this next AP, let's, let, let's take up that art from art. You know, three months ago, Patrick, yeah. and then we'll give it to a trusted author and be like... Mm-hmm. Make this level seven. <laughs> that's very <laughs> oh, much the exception. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Hi. Hey. Um, so I might be making an assumption. Um, are there? I'm assuming that there are some topics that writers want to write about more often than others. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I imagine everybody wants to sell their monster. Basically, like that could be a really popular thing. Mm-hmm. Are there topics that you guys are typically like starved for, or things that are kind of weird that people don't typically like to write about that you know could be useful? That's a great question. Um, I think there's things that uh, that are hard to write about, and that it takes a very talented or sensitive or mm-hmm. uh, kind of like what Louise and uh, James were saying earlier. You know, there's certain things. Uh, uh, you know, I won't sugarcoat it. It's you know kind of a uh, white male industry like for the past thirty years, and we're trying to not not make it that like just that. And um, you know, so uh, I don't know. Yeah, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> st- stuff that requires different experiences. Yeah, <laughs> uh, things like that. Um, I mean, for the most part, our content varies so much. We don't know what we want until it comes time to order a book. Um, but in general, I think we don't have much problem getting much of the material beyond having someone that has that expertise that mm-hmm. we kind of are looking for. I think that's partially because the outline is done ahead of time in like in office anyway. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah the, the two pieces I'd bring up are um, having content experts, whether that's a matter of diversity or as I would mentioned earlier, just in terms of technical Time knowledge or, mm-hmm. uh, beyond writing and, and game design. Um, the other thing is at least I tend to run into people who are more people who are interested in writing setting content rather than mechanical content mm-hmm. whereas uh we we have a fairly educated sense that um mechanical content is one of the things that sells the books so much as i would love to write an entire book that is nothing but the grand chronology of all of galarian <laughs> if it doesn't have at least a 10 page section of feats at the end then it becomes a much harder book to pitch mm-hmm. so uh, those who want to do a deep dive on some sort of cultural aspect, we don't always have as many outlets for that thing. Or when somebody says, I really want to write about the um, what Bravoy was like a thousand years ago. Well, unless we have some existing product that's going to riff on that, then it's hard to fit that sort of thing in. So um, really niche ideas are are going to be super hit or miss, whereas broader interests are going to be easier for us to, yeah. to accommodate. 
if you can nail the rules, you yeah, you'll yeah. you'll be happy camper. Uh, I think we're just about done with time, but I want to sneak in one more tip here. Uh, if for whatever reason you need to back out of a project, please let us know as soon as possible. Yep. And yep. if that means you do so right away or even have to turn down things before you accept them, that's fine. We'd love to hear that. That means a lot of maturity on your part. Mm -hmm. And turning something down doesn't mean you won't hear from us again later. Because we will continue to assign more books and we will not happily and say, thank you for letting us know. Mm -hmm. We'll keep you in mind uh, you know, a couple months from now. Yep. Alrighty, with that, uh, thank you very much for attending. If you have other questions, we will be joining you outside the room so that we can make room for the next panel shortly. And uh, hope that helps you. Uh, go ahead and see about grabbing some business cards from us if you like outside or handing us uh, yours and let us know what you'd like to write. Thanks and, for coming. And swing, swing by the writing for Starfinder later today. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. Uh, I'm Vanessa and I have Luis Loza who is also a No Direction member uh, from our network uh, and a Bison employee, so here he is. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Uh, very, very welcome. So one of the things that you are in charge of, if I'm not mistaken, is the World Guide product mm -hmm. line. Is that right? Yes, the Lost Omens, Lost uh, Omens. line. I think it's the Lost Omens line officially. Lost Omens name. line? Okay. Yeah, still call them World Guides though. Sure, sure. <laughs> so um, the Lost Omens guides, those that are coming out, um, what can you tell us about what's coming up in the future? Oh, well, very soon, just a few weeks away, we mm -hmm. just missed the, the Gen Con window for it, is the Lost Omens World Guide, which is basically a big rundown of the inner sea region all over again, okay. talking about uh, all the different nations and, the and some of the people who live with them and mm -hmm. what's been going on in the past 10 years. Uh, Pathfinder's history. If you've ever checked out the Inner Sea World Guide back during first edition, it's mm -hmm. kind of a similar book to that uh, in that it covers all the different nations and ongoing plots and mm -hmm. what's going on. But this time around, we get to involve 10 years worth of Adventure Path decisions. We decide, we, we, you know, hey, when winter happened, what happened to Arison, who's the new queen? We tell you that in that book. Cool, who or, is it? It's uh, Queen Anastasia. Hi, Jet. Oh. Hi, Peyton. Hi, Peyton. Uh, Queen Anastasia is now the new ruler, and Fantastic. you know a bunch of rune lords are suddenly around, and things like that. Yeah. Taldor has a new empress. All that stuff shows up in the, the New World Guide. That's fantastic. Yeah. So even someone like me who's been following Pathfinder products mm -hmm. and Galarian for a long time will probably still get a lot out of that history yeah. to, to get them up to date, right? Yeah, and it's not just changes that you saw in modules okay. and, and Pathfinder Society and things like that. We, we, we have changes that happened off screen even mm -hmm. when players weren't involved. Sure. Uh, for example, one thing that recently happened is the uh, nation of Sargava, the people there were overthrown by, by the native the native people that oh, were kind yeah. of uh, kind of oppressed by, by the sure. the colonists there. And now there's a new nation in its place, the nation of Vidrian, which wasn't part of any kind of uh, adventure path or anything like that. Oh, so yeah. so even if you kept okay. up with everything so far, there are still new things that you, you, you and can learn through this book. All right, great. Uh, are there any uh, products after that that have been announced yes. that you can talk about? Uh, we have a few uh, announced after that. The next one is the Lost Omens Character Guide, which okay. kind of is our kind of analog to Inner Sea Races, where we cover the different ancestries. Mm -hmm. uh, all six ancestries get new heritages, new ancestry feats, and That'd beyond be that, it, it's great. We, we get three <laughs> new ancestries in the form of the uh, Hobgoblin, the Leshies, mm -hmm. and the Lizardfolk. Which is just exciting because I love that me some leshies. Absolutely. And we even get to cover five of the major organizations that are prominent in the inner sea region, like the Pathfinder okay. Society and the Hell Knights. Mm -hmm. And after that, we have the third 
a book in the line, The Lost Omens, Gods and Magic, which mm -hmm. is kind of the analog to Inner Sea Gods, uh -huh. where we cover all our deities and try to, as best as we can, get as many of our deities <laughs> ported over to second edition right away. Oh, so good. if you were a I'm deity my... of some obscure demon Kyrgyz? lord. Kyrgyz? Oh, oh Kyrgyz is there too. Yes. Uh, my monk needs to worship yes, Kyrgyz. It's you, very important. We have your anathemas. We have your edicts. We have all the rules you need to play a cleric oh, of Kyrgyz excellent. right away. And not everyone gets... A full write-up in the book okay. but we still have a huge chart just like at the end of inner sea gods okay. where we give all that information all the absolute basics you need to, to play your deity uh, okay. cleric of your or follower of your deity sure. right away that sounds fantastic well i can't wait for that to come out sounds like there's a good balance of lore and and options in each book yeah uh, uh, so sounds good yeah i'm looking forward to people checking that out all right great thanks so much yeah thank you uh and so the two best hair in the direction <laughs> will be signing off uh stay tuned for another great panel and make sure that you stick around for the four o'clock panel that's future of paizo they're going to be doing all sorts of announcements I'm talking about the fourth book in the line <gasps> oh my gosh i can't wait all right and you shouldn't uh, and you'll have to unfortunately you till four o'clock eastern time and we'll see you then thanks and that was part of no direction's 2019 gen con seminar coverage in partnership with paizo if you'd like to find more great content like this go to nodirectionpodcast.com we'd like to thank our patreon supporters for making content like this possible if you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created you can do so at patreon.com slash no direction or click on the patreon link at nodirectionpodcast.com